Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. Let us in worship to the Lord. It's praying over all those seats. And we've got, a, we've got an overhead that says, uh, we've saved a seat for you. That couldn't be more true than it is today. Come on. You know, I, I went around and I was praying over, I know where you guys like your favorite seats and, and uh, the ones you save for visitors. But anyway, we have definitely saved the seats for you and we are looking forward to that time. Amen. When we can all be back together. And, uh, and uh, just, just worship God with one another close at hand. There's nothing like it. I miss it. Um, thank you, Vic, for leading us in worship. Yeah, that was pleasure. great. Uh, in fact, uh, we could have just done that for the next half hour and called it good. <laughs> but I do have something on my heart that uh, I believe that uh, will bring some encouragement into your life this week and, uh, and uh, sustain you. Amen. Uh, you know, there's so many things about everybody went out and, and, and uh, just overbought food for, for this, this uh, event. So true, yeah. And, uh, you know, we should stock up on the Word of God at this time, just like, like it's a, a big grocery card. You know? <laughs> Amen. Just take this time. We may never have another time like this where... So true. We're literally just, hey, put everything to a stop. We don't want you out. We don't want you about. We want you at home. Yeah. You know, seriously, especially in Alaska. Alaskans are Alaskans are known for on their vacation time Amen. of just being so blitz crazy about vacation. <laughs> they come back and they need a week of, of, of rest. Yeah. You know, and this is like a week vacation or two week vacation, whatever it might be in which we can get filled up and rested. It's, it's like a, a double bonus. So true. Yeah. You know. Well, last week, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I want to start out reiterating something that, that I said last week. One of my core convictions is God is a strategist mm-hmm. and he strategically positions us in the right place at the right time. So true. It's my core conviction that a sense of destiny is our birthright as followers of Christ. Every follower of Christ should have that immediate sense that God has a plan, God has a purpose. He's purposed things for you. It says that he's prepared things ahead of you. Uh, Good works that you'll fulfill. And uh, so, it's just such a deep part of my life that uh, everything that we're experiencing right now is uh, shaded by that view in my life. Yeah. That God has a destiny for me. Amen. And uh, he'll fulfill that in my life. That's right. It doesn't take special prayers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a, a magic um, prayer. It, it just takes God. I want you to guide me and lead me. I want to be a part of your great picture in the earth. And I want to be your disciple. I want to be your follower. Amen. And, 
that destiny will begin to unveil itself to you. There's another portion of scripture that I want us to uh, share in this morning. You find it in Hebrews in two places, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, and in Hebrews 10, verse 22. It goes like this. In both of them, they say the same thing in King James Version. It says, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. I, I mean, to me, I read that and I'm like, there's, there's an immediate response in my spirit that says, yeah, uh, yeah. It's kind of like being invited into the inner group. You know, you walk into a room, there's kind of this group of cool people and you're kind of like, yeah, where do I fit? And they're coming, like, come on, draw near. We got something to share with you. When I read that scripture, it just leaps in my spirit like that. God said, draw near. I've got something for you. It says, let us draw near. Um, with a full heart of assurance. Amen. Um, the New Living Translation says it this way. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts. You know, let's go right into the presence of God. I'm ready. Uh, you don't have to build up for it. You don't have to, oh, let's see, I didn't do very well in my life this week. I, mm. I yelled, I kicked a dog, I, I yelled <laughs> at my wife. I, wasn't nice to my kids, whatever it might be. So I have to reach the standard of approval to do that. It's no, it's to say, uh, let's go right into the presence of God. That's, that's what Hebrews is telling us. Come on, come yeah. on. Yeah. Let's go right into his presence. I can't think of a better time than these weeks uh, that we've been in and this time that we're in every day. Uh, let's start out, let's go right in to his presence. Also, along the lines of my core belief of us having a, a destiny, I want to take a moment, I want to read from a, a book uh, called Destiny of Nations by Dennis Peacock. He, uh, he wrote this out of Matthew 25, 31 and 32. He will sit on his glorious throne. All nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Amen. And he wrote, nations like people have destinies. Today, the nations of the world are confronted with a global crisis, mm -hmm. some more than others, yet technology and global markets have tied us all together. This economic crisis is at its heart a value crisis. It is sustainable values that emanate from love that will elevate one person, one community, or one nation above the others as the emerging leaders of the new order guide us forward. Mm -hmm. Make no mistake, this economic crisis signals a pivotal moment of change for the people and nations of the earth. For the nations, it is learning, a learning opportunity and a spiritual portal. Isaiah 26, 9, for when the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Mm -hmm. And that was out of his book, uh, Destinies of Nations. I want to give credit to him on that. It's a book I picked up in about 2012, had it sitting in my library until just the other day. And I went, you know, I think I should read this. It's about appropriate now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an appropriate uh, time for it for the season we're in. Uh, 
I'm glad I'm able to uh, use my voice a little better this week than last week. I had a tough couple weeks with uh, being able to talk, but I've been unable to speak very loudly. My wife has really enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, we're in what's known as uh, Holy Week or um, Passion Week, if you will. So many of us, uh, the week pre preceding Jesus' resurrection begins with Palm Sunday. And I thought it would be good for us to take some time, go through the sequence of events for Palm Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, yeah. Saturday, and then Resurrection Sunday. And I'm hoping that what you'll do is take this time at home Sit down with your family, sit down together, uh, and, uh, and go through this sequence of events and make this entire week a week about the passion uh, that, that drove Christ to do what he did, to lead him to the cross, to fulfill the destiny on his life of the cross, um, knowing that it was a sacrifice for all of us. Amen. And uh, so as I go through these, it's going to be a little bit more of a teaching so that you can have the scriptures and uh, sit down during the week and, and go through them. So we're going to begin with John chapter 12. And uh, you can find most of these in each gospel. And I've picked the gospel uh, that I wanted to read the, this morning. But you can find this also in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and in John, the same sequence. Um, but in John chapter 12, in the ninth verse, we're going to begin here. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him, also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for he was, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches, went down to the road to meet him, and they shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many of the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. You see, this was the first time that Jesus had come back to Jerusalem. It's the first time Jesus entered, re-entered Jerusalem since he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, Lazarus had died, and he remained in the tomb for four days. 
at which time uh, Jesus returned and called him forth from the dead. And that was a huge part of the reason so many people were running to see this man, Jesus, come into their city. They'd heard of this. They wanted to like be near a celebrity. Uh, they, they wanted to see if they could see this man that could raise Lazarus from the dead. Mm -hmm. And uh, who knows, with the stories, if, if they had grown with each telling or what. But they had run down many of them, not realizing that they were simply fulfilling prophecy. Wow, so good. <clears throat> Now, as they were praising Jesus as he came in, a lot of it was over Lazarus' death and, and being resurrected. But the irony is that he wasn't coming to claim his crown on account of Lazarus' death, but on account of his own. He was coming because he was coming to... Um, his own death and claim his own crown. Mm -hmm. So that's Palm Sunday. And that's why in your church services that you've been to over the years, you have those palms and we hand them out to all the kids. And, and they have the palms of people came saying, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. It stirred up a, a hornet's nest, if you will. You see the Pharisees saying there's nothing they could do uh, all of them followed Jesus, and there was nothing they could do. It, it stirred up the religious Pharisees of the day, the religious leaders, and they were angry. And uh, you would think, well, if that's not enough, Jesus just stirred up. If Jerusalem was a, a bee's nest, Jesus just whacked it with a, a stick. I mean, it created turmoil. And it had resounding effects throughout all the, the religious order of all Jerusalem in that time. And the, the Jewish leaders were at a, they were stumped. What do we do? What, what are we gonna do? Uh, I mean, you can just see their anger within as, as they begin to say, we've gotta get organized here. Um, because his, his kingly arrival was a strong declaration about his authority over the conventions of man. <clears throat> so Jesus returns on Monday, and uh, we find that in Luke chapter 19, verse 45. Let's turn there. Luke 19. Verse 45. <coughs> I don't think it was a, a huge surprise that um, Jesus was going to go back into Jerusalem mm -hmm. after what he had done the previous day. In verse uh, 45, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifice. He said to them, the scripture declares, 
my temple will be a house of prayer, mm -hmm. but you have turned it into a den of thieves. After that, he taught daily in the temple, but the leading priests, the teachers of religious law and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him, but they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word he said. <laughs> I mean, he really stirred up a, a bee's nest and he immediately established that his authority superseded their authority yes. and that he was there to establish a new authority that being the kingdom of God um, so he goes back in on Monday he goes straight to the temple he charges in he turns over the tables he gets a whip and he drives out the money changers and those selling doves he drives them out he says you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. My father's house is to be a house of praise, not a house of, of not a Walmart. <laughs> it's to be a house of praise. Not that you can't praise God in the middle of Walmart. You can do it. Uh, it'd be a good idea. So he goes in, he turns over the, the tables, he, he runs out the money changers. He's caused quite a ruckus. They're like, we gotta do something about this guy. How can we kill him without the people knowing it? See, they're afraid of the people. So that was Monday, Tuesday comes along. Let's take a look at Tuesday. And we're gonna look at, again, um, John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, verse 37, we'll begin there. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. So Tuesday, uh, he, he, he went away. Where am I? Chapter 12. <laughs> this is just like a regular Sunday. I'm lost already. Uh, verse 37. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe, for as Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that their eyes cannot see, their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and have, have me heal them. Mm -hmm. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Many people did not believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Jesus shouted to crowds, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. 
I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me, for I, I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on behalf of my own authority. The Father who has sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. In Mark, let's turn over there quickly, chapter 14. So when uh, Jesus, on Tuesday afternoon, he publicly teaches in the temple, declaring he's a free man from religious authority. He's under God's authority. He says, I speak what the Father shows me to speak. I show you the way that the Father shows me to show you. I'm here on behalf of the Heavenly Father. He makes that very clear. And basically, it's the last time, Tuesday afternoon is the last time where Jesus speaks as a free man in the temple. And when Jesus leaves the temple on Tuesday, the chief priests and scribes seek out how to arrest him and to kill him. And in Mark 14, 1, it was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread the leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. <clears throat> they can't take his life on the strength of the charges that they have. They have to figure this out. They have to plan. It's, it's amazing what can be in the heart of man when he wants to resist the things of God. You know, it, it's just, this story just says so much. And uh, instead, by his silence, when they do bring accusation, Jesus does not defend himself. It's by his silence that he offers up his life so that cannot be ever said that uh, they took his life from him. He offered his life freely. This leads us to Wednesday. In Mark 14, while we're there, we'll go down to verse three. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who, had previously, who previously had had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But just, 
But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Amen. And it is. We still remember it to this day and discuss it to this day. So we find that on Wednesday, Jesus is having dinner at um, Simon the leper. Uh, he's known as Simon the leper because he has leprosy. And Jesus goes to his home, he's having dinner, and in comes uh, actually Mary, I believe it is, the sister of Lazarus. And she basically has this perfume that she anoints the feet of Jesus with. She anoints Jesus with this perfume and it says a year's wages. What would that be to you, to, to many of us? You know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars in today's economy. Um, a year's of uh, uh, wages. Um, and of course they were indignant. Of course they were like, wow, what a waste. The, that was a lot. It'd be like, Vic, you, you come over to my house and you know, you bring a, a $40,000 bottle of champagne you got somewhere and you, you pop the cork and I'm like, oh, what's the celebration? And you go, well, it's this. And you just pour it out on me. <laughs> Everybody that at, at, at our home would be going, he's lost his mind. But Mary does, what she does is, is such a beautiful thing. Um, and Jesus wants everyone to know it. Jesus makes it very clear here. What she has done to me is a beautiful thing. It will not be forgotten. And we haven't. This leads us to what Jesus is doing on Thursday. So we've gone through Palm Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, John, the book of John, chapter 13. In John 13, verse 1, um, Actually, uh, Thursday, prior to Jesus' crucifixion, fills a lot of pages in Scripture. Begins with John and P Peter securing the upper room, and Jesus washes, washes his disciples' feet, explaining he is there to make them clean. And as they begin to eat, Jesus announces one of them is about to betray him. Thursday's a pretty full day. Each of them wondering, is it me, is it me? You know, we can read that account. When Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Uh, I can't imagine what it was like to be in that room, to be considered, you know, let us draw near, let me draw near, because I want to hear what you have to say. You know, and here in this situation, they're, they're living that out, and they hear, um, one of you is going to betray me. Boy, every one of them, 
questioned their heart. Every one of them questioned, is it, is it me? In the previous let us draw near that I used, we will never hear that. We only hear let us draw near because God wants us to experience his presence, his love, his joy, his unspeakable uh, blessings that he wants to bless us with as a good father. So where are we at? John 13, one. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you, will, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Let's turn over to uh, verse uh, 18. Skip over to verse 18. It says, I am not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and everyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to, the, to Jesus at the table, and Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, is the one to whom I have given the bread and dipped in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Where's my water? You know, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. I'm sure it'll be showing again this week. It's a, it's a difficult movie for me personally to watch. I mean, it's a powerful movie, 
but the portrayal is, I think, so, so close that it, it's difficult for me to watch just what um, our Lord and Savior went through. So here we see Jesus prayed for his friends in, in uh, now he leaves after this and he goes to the Mount of Olives to pray. And let's take a look at that in Mark 14, 33. Hope you're following along, not getting lost here. But I just want you to, this, this is going to be available to you. You can go back and research it or write down these scriptures as you go along. And, and take the time throughout the week and, and uh, read the scriptures on the day uh, that, uh, that they're subject to. Uh, John, uh, Mark 14, verse 33. They went out to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter and James and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further, and he fell to the ground. He prayed, that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. It's not long after this, they see a stream of lights coming up the hill and they've come to take Jesus away and take him captive. And uh, they take him away that evening. On Thursday night, Jesus is arrested, betrayed by one of his disciples, and then soon abandoned by all the others. The chief priests and the Sanhedrin call for secret trials in the dead of the night. And the verdict handed down that Jesus would be crucified. They had to find false testimony against him to be able to do this. But again, we previously read that Jesus willingly, through his silence, allowed his life. He gave it up. Pontius Pilate had to execute the plan. As a Roman prefect, he had to do that. Although he was reluctant, he does. After a severe, this is on now Good Friday, we moved to Good Friday. Let's turn to, uh, boy, there's just so much about Good Friday. I'm gonna give you the scriptures. I want you to write them down. Matthew 27, verses one through 61. Mark 15, verse one through 47. Luke 23, verses one through 56. John 18, uh, John 18, 28 through 19, 42. So there's a lot of scriptures. I'm not going to read them. I want you to take one of those. Choose one. Yeah. Choose one. And make that your reading for the day, for Good Friday next week, uh, next Friday. Uh, <clears throat> so on Good Friday, Jesus receives a severe beating He's nailed to a cross where he remains for six hours until death. 
Never before or since has more been lost and gained in the same act. The world gained the atoning sacrifice of Christ. But for those who were present, those present there, those that followed him, the significance of the moment was lost on them. Their hearts were broken as the, the, the one they thought to be the savior of the world dies at the hands of Rome. And they can't stop it. They can't uh, do anything about it. They hoped in him. And though he told them that these things would happen, that he would suffer and he would rise three days later, how could they have possibly known what he really meant? And in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, you can read that. This brings us to Saturday. How's my time? Doing all right? This brings us to Saturday, the, the events of, of Saturday. There's not, a, there's not a whole lot written about Saturday. It's a pretty quiet day. Jesus is in the grave. He lies buried. But the... Um, the religious leaders are still worried. They, they, they're so worried that they, they call upon the, the, the uh, Rome, uh, Roman leader to put um, guards over the tomb and to seal it up. They think Jesus still has a surprise that they're not aware of. He still has got something going or that his disciples will come and steal him away. Well, there is a surprise waiting. You know, there, there is a, a, a total surprise. Uh, but they were looking at it from the human standpoint. If we seal this tomb, nobody can come and steal them away. Uh, and I don't think the, whole, the disciples were in a real state of mind to think, let's steal them away and keep this thing going. No, they, they were broken. Everything they, they followed and thought about is... is just ended. They've gone back to fishing. You know? The chief priests, they, they, were, they were worried. They were worried about Jesus' prediction and it preoccupies their thoughts. And they just can't leave it alone. So in uh, Matthew 27, verses 62 through 66, it tells the strange story of how they can't dismiss out of hand, the possibility that Jesus might do something that they don't know. Well, Jesus is doing something. He's, he's in the grave. Uh, in the Apostles' Creed, it says that he, 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 he goes down and he leads captive. He preaches the gospel and deliverance. And it says when he descended... Uh, there's much controversy in the church about this, and I think that it's best for us to just say what, what one segment of the church believes, another segment of the church believes. We need a lot of room for grace in this. I believe Jesus preached the gospel in hell, and he took the keys with him, and he took the power and authority that the devil had, and it says when he descended, he also ascended and he led captivity captive with him. And uh, 
Although there's much controversy about it, I don't think it was a day of rest for Jesus just lying in a, in a grave. I think he was very active in the spiritual realm, still maintaining his lordship. Because when he died on the cross and he said it is finished, it was finished. He now reigned. Satan didn't know that. Satan thought he'd won a wonderful victory, but he didn't. And that brings us to uh, Resurrection Sunday. What a glorious day. One we, we celebrate. There's so much saying on, on Facebook right now with, uh, you know, not being able to celebrate Easter because we can't attend the church building. But, you know, Easter is not about a building. It's not about uh, eggs. It's not about a, a, a hunt. It's not about a bunny. It's about a resurrected king, a resurrected Lord who rose from the dead Amen. and brought salvation to this world. Hallelujah. And with that, I'm going to leave you to ponder this throughout the week and to focus on this, these scriptures throughout this week. And I hope that you'll be blessed by them. And I hope the realization of the power and authority of Jesus Christ and what he can do in your life as you surrender to him, as you yield yes. your life to him, as you become a child of destiny yes. through simply yielding yourself to him. God, you don't have to pray something special. God, I want to be your disciple. Amen. Lord, I want to know you. I want to follow you. And that destiny will be upon your life. And God's got a plan for all of this that he's doing. God bless you today. Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.